The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Scorebox. Oil prices hit a three-week high after OPEC and its allies agree to cut output by 2 million barrels per day. The uh, OPEC Secretary General, Haitham al Gais tells CNBC it was not a political decision. We are not endangering the energy markets. We are providing security, stability to the energy markets. At a price. Everything has a price. Energy security has a price as well. The decision draws an immediate rebuke from Washington, prompting the Biden administration to release more oil from its strategic reserves as it accuses the group of siding with Russia. It's clear that OPEC Plus is aligning with, with Russia with today's announcement. And, and I'll leave it, I'll leave it as, as, as that. Elsewhere, Fitch becomes the latest ratings agency to warn of a negative outlook for the UK economy, saying the government's new fiscal plans could pressure the country's deficit. And Elon Musk plus Twitter could reportedly, reportedly reach an agreement to end their litigation in the coming days, as the Tesla boss outlines plans to turn the social media company, wait for it, into a super app. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well indeed. I'm just yeah. still thinking what is a super app. What's a right. super app? I don't know. It's bigger than a normal app. <laughs> it's a really big or, app. Or it has many more functions. I mean, I, I think... Um, it's, a, it's a $44 billion super app. Arjun, um, I think Arjun did a pretty good job of describing pretty the intentions good. Pretty yesterday. good. He did a brilliant job. Uh, our te- Arjun is our technical reporter, of course, and you will have watched yesterday's programme, I assume. Come fix but your he, computer He talked well. about how... <laughs> Ultimately, this super app would try to replicate some of the Chinese apps that we've seen that are not only for communication, no. but also have some kind payment of payment system. And, and, and close censorship from the state. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, there, are all, there are all sorts of things, but you can use them for health and yeah. monitoring. And for and close so on censor- and so censorship from the state. Yes, absolutely. But that's not the story this morning. No, this morning, no, no. the story I'm off. is I'm off oil. It's all well, about the oil, Steve. I don't know about super app. Super wall. From the graphics team, I feel like I should be on a game show. Super! Right, OK, here we go. Brilliant, a wall. Thank you, graphics team. You don't get enough credit for what your work you do. It's very good when you can spell right. No, I'm joking. It's great. Uh, OPEC Plus has agreed to a joke. OPEC Plus has agreed to slash oil production by 2 million barrels per day. Uh, it marks the group's biggest output cut since the pandemic and is set to push crude prices higher in an already tight market. Well, potentially. Uh, OPEC Plus said the move was motivated by rising interest rates and a weaker global economic outlook. However, the supply cut comes in defiance of US lobbying efforts to keep prices low as the West faces an energy security crisis. Well, Hadley asked the Saudi energy minister, His Royal Highness Abdulaziz bin Salman, if the group is capitalizing on Europe and the West's weaker energy position. Show me where is the act of belligerence, period. 
Secretary General. Your Royal Highness, um, and back to your question, yes, I did say we have an open door. We have an open door. I'm waiting for someone to knock on that door. That's all I can say. And you're still not getting anyone knocking on that door? Because a lot of folks would say that by this action, by you, these cuts, you, you, you are ask, endangering global energy markets, you are endangering the global economy. What's the response there, sirs? If you permit me, Royal Highness, we are not endangering the energy markets. We are providing security, stability to the energy markets. At a price? Uh, everything has a price. Energy security has a price as well. The OPEC plus output uh, cut drew ire from the US, which described the decision as short-sighted. President Biden directed the country to release uh, 10 million barrels from its strategic petroleum reserve in the hope of keeping prices at the pump down and to deprive Russia of oil revenue. The UAE's energy minister, Sahel Al-Masrui, said that OPEC's main goal is to keep the market balanced, adding that it has kept prices lower than any other energy source. Europe is more into the gas than it is to, uh, to not getting enough, enough crude or not enough oil. We will make sure always that we have a balanced market, but, uh, and, and if we have to do more, we will do more. But we have to be proactive, not to uh, bring the the, uh, the the market to crash and then takes takes more time to fix it because of this organization the impact on price to the consumers is the least compared to any form of energy and the table we showed you explains that so if you could explain to us how the world is going to deal or the europeans going to deal with the gas going five times where it, where it used to be, then I think we can, we can have a candid discussion about where is the oil. Uh, the decision also cast OPEC members' relationship with Russia into the spotlight at a time when the US and EU are set to impose a price cap on Russian oil exports. The White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said the move to cut production and raise prices showed that OPEC countries are siding with Russia. OPEC's decision uh, to cut production's quotas is short-sighted while the global economy is dealing with the continued negative impact of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. It's clear that OPEC Plus is aligning with, with Russia with today's announcement. And, and I'll leave it, I'll leave it as, as, as that. Well, there you hear it. The battle lines are drawn. Well, as you can see uh, over my shoulder, Hadley joins us now. And I'm pretty sure that's uh, Herman Wang standing next to us. So let's get to them both. Good morning, Hadley. Good morning, Stephen. As you heard there, um, as the lines are pretty well drawn. And I don't know that OPEC and its partner, Russia, were aware of just what they were doing yesterday when it comes to those optics. I want to bring in Herman Wang now to get his sense of this one. I mean, a historic OPEC decision and, frankly, a historic conversation in a sense as well. Yeah, I mean, this is all happening, of course, in the backdrop of a very politically dicey time for the U.S., right? And, and when you've got this rivalry going on right now between the U.S. and OPEC, the U.S., the Middle East, and all these changing dynamics of the geopolitics. And just ahead of the midterm elections. Just ahead of the midterm elections. Obviously, the last thing the White House wants to see is gasoline prices spike uh, in the weeks leading up to this November congressional election. And so you've seen the White House call this decision by OPEC plus short-sighted. Now there's a lot of rhetoric about they're exploring potential no 
snowpack legislation, various bills have been introduced by legislatures. This is really kind of this decision has really poked the eye of the White House and then the U.S. and and it's led to a potential worsening of relations between a U.S. the U.S. which has been a key ally of the of the Middle East countries, the core Middle East Gulf OPEC members, who are now pivoting over the last couple of years towards Russia, as we've seen. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of questions about the future of this OPEC plus agreement. Now they've completely unwound those historic cuts that they've done. What was next for the OPEC plus, especially um, with Russia becoming a Western pariah with the invasion of Ukraine? Well, the answer that we heard very clearly doubling yesterday. Doubling down. They're doubling down. They're, they're extending it through 2023. They're going to stick with this strategic alliance. They obviously see a, a strategic uh, reasons, strategic reasons for maintaining these ties with Russia uh, that perhaps go beyond oil, but uh, they're focusing it on oil, obviously, in, in what they're talking about here at OPEC Plus. Um, but uh, there are reasons that they want to stick with Russia. Yeah, Herman, you know these gentlemen as well as I do, perhaps even more, um, in terms of what they see as important. And they have again and again reiterated to both of us over the years that this is not a political organization, that they are looking very much at the numbers here, the fundamentals. They're very worried about keeping things stable, especially at such a time. But when you think about this a bit more broadly, as you say, the politics, the optics, mm -hmm. is it a chance that they're getting it wrong? Because my worry and my fear is, frankly, um, that you're going to start hearing calls on Capitol Hill that um, the Saudis are trying to throw an election. Sure. You know, I mean, obviously, as much as you say that they say that they try to keep politics out of their decision, there are clearly geopolitical ramifications. And, and you saw the, the statement from the White House, and it was a very strongly worded statement. And, and you're right. There could be a lot of political rhetoric, especially leading up to that November congressional elections. I suspect that uh, if you're OPEC plus, you're looking at the calendar and, and you're seeing that this November election is coming up, they just got to survive a few weeks. And then maybe after that election, that rhetoric dies down a little bit. And we've always seen with this U.S.-Saudi, U.S.-OPEC relationship, there's always a lot of blame game going on on both sides. And this is not unique. It's to, an easy out. Yeah, right. It's not, it's not unique to the Biden administration. And then there's always those back channel talks that, that kind of really set the political scene. But obviously we are at a position now where those relations are very frosty right now and and it, this is this has been a long time coming the, the Saudi Arabia and and the Gulf partners in OPEC they've been quite upset with what they see as the US geopolitical positioning over the last few years uh, going all the way back to Obama and so this is this has been a, a chilling of the relationship how it goes forward from here you know uh, we've, this is all complicated of course by you've got the u.s shale uh revolution happening in the u.s and and how that u.s industry uh has impacted the market which has has a huge impact on the producers that occupy this building yes. and, and their talks over the last couple of years what is the response in your mind mm. from the biden white house at this point because there is an argument to be made that by their own legislation and their own um, moves toward a more climate friendly policy they have boxed themselves into a corner right and, and i think you've seen some of the consternation within opec countries about this what they might see as cognitive dissonance right how do you on one hand beat us with a cudgel about climate change and then on the other hand scold us for not producing more oil you know I, I guess from the Biden administration's perspective oil prices are all about global economic stability and and this is about not tanking the, the world market and and what really what the world is watching here is what would Saudi Arabia and Russia do to support the global economy as we're dealing with these you know you know signs of a global recession and uh, their answer was to cut production but, uh, you know, from the Biden administration perspective, they would separate the two. They said this does not change the long term imperative. We still have to decarbonize. In the meantime, it's harder to decarbonize if we have this volatility in the market, this economic 
downturn happening because of high oil prices. We're already dealing with inflation. And so we've got to get this under control. Yeah. When you think about that, purely from the Russian perspective, where does that leave Vladimir Putin and his ability to fund his war machine? Right. I mean, I think this has got to be a big win for, for Vladimir Putin, right? I mean, he's got this OPEC plus coalition and, and, you know, I don't know. And the breakdown of the cuts does not necessarily push the Russians. Right. You know, so when we're talking about two million barrels per day in cuts and quotas, uh, all those countries that are below their quotas, it's not really going to impact them. And, and, and up until last couple months before the invasion of Ukraine, Russia was right at the top of its quotas, in some cases over its quota. Now they've been impacted by sanctions. They're way below their quarter. So they, these cuts really aren't going to impact them. It's really going to be shouldered by Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and to a lesser extent, Kuwait, maybe Iraq. We think it's about 800,000 barrels per day of real actual cuts. And it's going to be borne by these core Gulf partners that are now, you know, perhaps under the sway of Russia. Russia has convinced them to bear the burden of this. And it's a big win for Russia. And how irrelevant does this make the idea of a G7 price cap or the Russia price cap? Well, you know, that's sort of the 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 the. the the threat that the G7 has continued to wield over Russia. And, and, uh, but we're, as we're seeing within the G7, within Europe, there is still disagreement about how that's going to be implemented and uh, really the impact of it. You know, I, I think that's, uh, and OPEC has always had this, you know, when it comes to sanctions, whether it's with Iran, Venezuela, other countries, let's wait and see. You know, the rhetoric of sanctions sometimes doesn't always match the reality of, the, the, uh, of how they are imposed and how they are, uh, you know, how they are implemented. And so, you know, until we see the devil of the details of how this price cap is going to work from the OPEC plus perspective, well, we can't, uh, you know, we can't deal with a hypothetical like that when we're trying to actually set policy and, and production. So, so really, it's, it's the balls in the EU's court on how to, impl- or the G7's court on how to implement the, this price cap and the EU's court on how they're going to enforce these sanctions, how tight they are. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see when the, the December comes. Herman, great stuff as always. Great to see you. Herman Wang joining us from S&P Global. Guys, I'm going to hand it back over to you. Hadley, terrific and uh, a terrific question, by the way, in the press conference there. So well done for that as well. And I think we will continue to focus on this story through the rest of the morning. I just want to take us in a slightly different direction because I think um, Hadley and Herman have have laid out the oil story incredibly well. um, And it remains to be seen whether there are long tail issues um, when it comes to the White House's relationship with OPEC and OPEC plus as a body going forward, but we'll, we'll sort of wait and watch. But what I was interested in was the reaction in, in the Treasury market and in the um, stock market. And of course, it's always difficult to, to nail down individual reasons why things happen. But clearly, this hasn't ha- helped the environment. Because I think the, the knee-jerk reaction in the Treasury market was to look at this as inflationary. Obviously, we had a little push up in the price. Who knows whether we're going back to uh, $100 a barrel yet on the energy price. But the reaction indicated that the, 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 the bond market didn't really like it, thought it was inflationary. We saw um, a, a push up in two year yields. We saw a push up in 10 year yields. The um, equity markets declined. The sense was that this is only going to add fuel to the inflationary fire and it's going to put the Fed under even more pressure to hold the line on interest rate strategy, which I thought was an interesting way of immediately reacting. Because I think as we were discussing this yesterday, we know energy is a tax on global economic activity. We know the longer term or the medium term impact of higher energy prices is to Quash demand as well. So here you've got the market reacting to the move by 
if effectively believing this is going to lead to higher interest rates, which are also quashing demand. So we've got this twin track concern at the moment. It seems to me that high energy prices are going to quash demand. Um, high interest rates are going to quash demand. I just wonder if there is a pivot. I know we've talked about this and the market has slowly come to terms with the idea that it's not coming anytime soon and the Fed speakers continue to double down on there is no pivot here but I wonder if the ultimate reaction to this pressure from higher energy costs will be some form of moderation in the interest rate path. I wonder if the dot plots are going to change at all here as maybe some of the Fed speakers think you know what this is going to be painful for everybody and it will have some impact on suppressing demand and um, economic activity. The, there are huge content, all of the above, yeah, yeah. But, but, but there are a couple of points that, 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 that are very interesting. The oil price, the gasoline price that American voters, uh, the Mr. Biden administration are so worried about, let's be brutally honest about it, yeah. isn't actually moving that aggressively at the moment. The gasoline price, of course, uh, peaked at over five bucks as well. But now the national average, I mean, it is up from, of course, dramatically from the lows we saw of last mm. year, but it is down dramatically from the five bucks level for an average gallon of gasoline a across the states mm. that we saw at the peak of the crisis. It is 383. Mm. Now that is up, but we're talking decimals now. We're not talking about those massive moves that we saw back in June. So the volatility of underlying gasoline prices and energy prices that are derived from oil has completely come out of the market from the period early in the year when in March, for instance, the oil price was circa $130 a barrel for Brent as well. Now, yes, there has been a reaction. We are trading circa $93.40. And we have had, without doubt, a big rally off the lows for both WTI and Brent. But the oscillation and indeed the big price moves for derived product aren't happening at the moment. They're just mm. not happening. So you're not getting the extra bang for your buck from these kind of decisions. Uh, for instance, I live, as you well know, uh, in the middle of absolutely nowhere, mm. uh, and we don't use gas. We use heating oil. And the heating oil prices are elevated compared with a five-year average. There is no doubt about it. But they aren't excessive at the moment. And, and interestingly, they're nowhere near the peaks. In fact, they're probably around about just under half of what they were at the peak of the crisis when we were looking at oil prices near $130 as well. So a lot of product is available at lower price now, whether it's gasoline in the States, whether it's me with my heating oil in the middle of East Sussex as well. Mm. So the bang for the buck from these higher moves isn't there necessarily, and it's not coming through into inflationary concerns as well. Um, the other point is, is we're not just looking at energy prices, are we? We're looking at the reaction of all those things you just mentioned, the higher interest rates, the higher mortgage costs, and mortgage rates in the States are still at their highest levels with a six handle as well. Variable mortgage rates in the United Kingdom now have mm. a six handle as well. So mm. devastating for those people who didn't lock in at lower levels and mm. lower levels were available and it was there for people to, to do. We, we, we advise people, we're not mortgage advisors, but it was obvious that you couldn't get much cheaper than naught finance money or money pricing off naught. Mm. So I think now we need to look ahead to the factors which, all those what you just mentioned, the, the, the backward looking indicator as our in economists say, the backward looking indicator is jobs. And yet all of a sudden, what did the market rally two days on the back of? Jobs data on the mm. jolts data as well. So I think we've got we've just had another marker yesterday with the uh, the ADP mm. number as well, which I thought was very interesting at two hundred eight thousand jobs created from an upwardly revised one hundred thirty eight fifty eight thousand in August. But also we've got payroll tomorrow. Yeah. 
payroll's back as one of the key factors. If the jobs figures are horrible tomorrow, this market's going to skyrocket, regardless of what the Saudis and the Russians have just done. Mm. No, it's, uh, there's a lot to play for, isn't there? Um, and it, this, is a, this is a huge gamble from OPEC+. Plus. This is a remarkable gamble, it seems to me, both at a ge- geostrategic level and also at an economic but it didn't level. Get, but it didn't get the oil price. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's up. It, undeniably, it's up from its lows. But it's still only 93 bucks, which is, again, I've got a brilliant 12-month chart on my screen now, and I'm, I'm sure the producers can do something similar as well. But it's nowhere near the kind of spike levels we've seen at the height of this crisis. Um, let's move on and talk yeah. some more about some of the other energy aspects to this story. The International Energy Agency has warned Europe's energy crisis could be even worse next year. As countries drain their stores this winter, gas storage currently at around 90 percent of capacity. But the IEA says the high winter demand and Russia's ongoing invasion of Ukraine will make it challenging to refill next spring. European leaders meet tomorrow in Prague to discuss a plan for capping gas prices, although there is concern the measure will make it harder to secure supplies. Well, Russia has said it may cut oil output if Western allies implement a price cap. Russian Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak called the plan a, quote, breach of all the market mechanisms. As opposed to OPEC. The, <laughs> opposed, absolutely. Hang on a second. Can we just dissect? I know you've got to read. Oh. Uh, Mr Novak has yeah. been very generous with his time with you and I over the years as well. Yes. We've spoken a lot to him and he speaks a lot of sense in many ways as well, you know, albeit for a Russian politician. Mm. But well, well, can I read your read again? Hang mm-hmm. on, what bit of it was mm-hmm. it? He said the EU is looking to blah, 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 blah. It's a breach of all market mechanisms. Yep. Well, you know, again, we don't have to be political about this. We don't have to you know, go all about Russia, Ukraine. We can just say, Mr. Novak, what do you think OPEC Plus is if that's not a breach of all market mechanisms? Was his tongue firmly in his cheek when he said uh, that? I think it was, and talking out of both sides of your mouth and all those other analogies. I mean, come about, on. Uh, I mean, you've, you've, you've got the biggest cartel of all time reinvigorated because Russia has joined it. And he's moaning because the demand side, the consumers, want mm. their own kind of cartel. Uh, the EU is looking to match price caps already agreed by G7 nations to withhold insurance, financing and other services to oil cargoes priced above a yet-to-be-determined level. So we've got to take a break. What's coming up, Steve? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I'll tell you what's coming up. Another ratings agency <laughs> downgrade. I'm still reeling from Mr Novak complaining about a demand cartel. Yeah. Uh, another ratings agency, this is about the UK, has lowered its outlook for the UK, citing inconsistencies. <laughs> yeah, we've got a few of them. Uh, between fiscal and monetary policies. We'll have more on that next. And is there a, is there a podcast? Oh, there definitely is. Uh, for more on the output cuts announced by OPEC and its allies, check out the Squawk Box podcast. We'll be right back, everybody. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
U.S. businesses added 208,000 jobs for the month of September, according to the latest payroll data from ADP. This is the private survey. This was better than the previous month and better than the Dow Jones initial estimate. A big increase in hiring for jobs in trade, transportation and utilities helped to offset some of the weakness being reported in manufacturing and mining. The San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly has stressed the central bank is forward-looking and data-dependent and won't, quote, raise rates until something breaks. Daly said policymakers are committed to restoring stability in prices and that they will continue to hike until interest rates enter restrictive territory. I just pleaded with the director if I could sit down. Do you know know what he said? Get up. Really? Yeah, he did, yeah. It's the feet again, is it? It's it's the leg. (laughs) Well, he did do a marathon over the weekend. It's the quads, mate. It's the quads. That's all right, Adam. Thanks very much. I remember you'll be old one day. Right, Okay. (laughs) Actually, I think this was a really solid session. Uh, I know you're going to say, well, they were down in negative territory across the board. But there were some really hefty declines earlier on on the US markets. And that's why the US in, uh, European indices closed uh, on, on the back foot in terms of uh, the long position. So actually, it really rallied hard later on in the session to have very minimal declines, given the fact we've seen a huge rally over the last two sessions before that as well. Uh, and again, I think people are dissecting every little bit of data. We saw some trade numbers. We saw some ISM. In fact, the services sector looked really, really robust, still in expansion territory, although it was just a little bit lower than the previous month's figures. Uh, and as Jeff just mentioned there, the ADP. We are all clearly on tender hooks uh, ahead of the payrolls numbers tomorrow. But yeah, I think it was pretty solid all in all. Week to day, I'll just tell you what they've done week to work day. They're all up 5.5%, these three indices. That's not bad going, is it, for a three-day move? Let's have a look at the Treasuries. Jeff mentioned uh, there was a little bit of firming up on the yield, a little bit of selling off on the underlying, on concern uh, about um, the inflationary pressures as ever. 4.16% on your two-year, your 10-year trading at 3.75 as well. Dollar crosses. Uh, the dollar yesterday had a, a solid old session. It was up around about 1%. But as you can see, the pound and the euro... Uh, and the Swissy all gaining by a similar margin in today's session, actually. The pound back up to give or take um, where it was before the, the whole fiscal crisis kicked off as well. So interesting. I, I don't read so much about it on the front page of the BBC at the moment about how the pound's rallied. Well, it's, it's funny, it's though, funny, isn't that it? All, all of those currency experts have just disappeared, haven't they, from but social media? It's great work because, look, you and I, we have our lane, and yeah. I think we like to stay in our lane quite a little bit as well. But it was amazing. I, I, I drive home and sometimes I listen to LBC, which is a, a, a national network, or Radio 5 Live, which is a BBC network, or Times Radio, which speaks for itself as well. Radio 4 occasion, yes, Adam. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, our lane was their lane. And there was all these amazing people telling us how we're going to go to parity and how the, the government finances were in utter chaos. But when we had a little bit of a rally off the lows, I, 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 I listened in because I thought, well, there's oscillation to the downside. And I was very interested in what they had to say. And, and the oscillation to the upside, I think they'd moved on to Woman's Hour or something, you know, or some other very important article or part of the, uh, the global conundrum, but they hadn't mm. mentioned the rally in the pound. It was very interesting. I'm not sure why. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? Yeah, funny. Uh, today's news? Yeah. 
Well, you well, know yesterday's what, news, tomorrow, today's look, chip wrapper. If, if you do your analysis with a ruler, you're always going to have self-reconfirming conclusions, aren't Indeed. you? Because Indeed. Because it's always going to look like it's yeah. only going in one direction. How dare you talk about technical analysis like that? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to all my TA friends out there. Uh, anyway, here we are. Uh, what are we? Hang Seng's flat. Um, Nikkei's up 1%. You wouldn't get that on the BBC. Um, Cosby's up 1.5%. That wouldn't be there either. Uh, ASX 200 trading around the flat line as well. But what, on a programme note, are our US colleagues doing? Well, look, it's that time of year again when the IMF holds its big autumn meeting. Well, you our US your colleagues. Business class flight to Washington. Well, I, I, God, I hope so. I'm going to check that later. <laughs> are you, um, uh, are you up the twirly staircase with a glass of Don Palmer, as I used to say? Are you, is there still a twirly staircase these days? <laughs> no, that's Isn't the 747. That, that, that was the 747. Was that was a, a lovely flight. Wasn't it? Wasn't that, wasn't that the phrase? Up That's the early staircase point. and the glass of Don Pom? Yes, it was. Yes, and you did a yeah. few of those, didn't you? Um, back in the old days, yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Well, did the budget used to stretch to that? Well, uh, yes. Well, there are rules on corporate travel, aren't they? And if you travel far enough for long enough, then you get to fly business. Well, say if you travel to New Zealand, then you get to fly business nowadays. Uh, I think that probably would be sufficient cause. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to be sat in a plane for over, what? Well, well, New Zealand would be a long time, wouldn't I mean, it? it was, I was joking. It's there. the longest flight on the planet, yeah. isn't it, from yeah. here? There you go. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.